Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders who influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. This issue that we all deal with, it's part of the human condition. It's uh, in psychology, they call it the negativity bias. The idea of writing down wins is a huge practice towards changing the wiring in our brains. So the negativity, you know, we're wired to think negative, be negative, because it's, it's, you know, think of it in terms of like an evolutionary process, survival of the fittest, protect ourselves, you know, what are the dangers around us, all this. And so to change that, neuroscience now has proven that we can actually rewire the synapses in our brain. We can actually redirect the way we think. We don't have to always go to the negative. So one of the exercises you just mentioned, uh, Liggy, is uh, ACE, which is a gratitude exercise. What are you grateful for? The minute you have a negative thought, stop that thought, replace that thought with something you're grateful for. And here's where it gets hard. Maintain that grateful thought for a minimum of 15 seconds. I know it sounds easy. 15 seconds, that's nothing. Yeah, try it. Because your brain, your, your mind will start to wander. In 15 seconds, you'll be all over the map. So it takes practice to get really honed in on that. But this is another great exercise because anytime we can focus our minds on the positive in life and not so much the negative, we're starting to be able to rewire the way our brains are wired. It works. It takes time. It takes a lot of practice. Now they say it takes 21 days or whatever it is to build a, a new habit. The reality is it takes two to three years to create a new lifestyle change. You know, so it takes a lot of practice of just focusing on wins, micro wins, gratitude. It protects ourselves. That's why we go to the negative is it's protective. And we've talked about this before, but tapping is an exercise I use, you know, when I meditate using tapping. And it's specifically for that is to have that physical connection with the thought to change it in a more permanent way. So, yeah. And I love that idea of holding it for 15 seconds, you know. So I, I wrote on my calendar for the next week under my to-do, which not that it's a task, but that's just where it's on my calendar. And I put micro wins right there. I wrote it on for the next seven days so that I have a reminder. And I put 15 seconds next to it so that I can <laughs> focus for 15 seconds. So otherwise it just goes straight out of my head again. So yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for that. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to put a little link for tapping in the chat window. If nobody's ever heard of it, uh, it's something to look at. It's, it's used for anxiety. It's used for stress management. Uh, Sleeping better. All kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got a friend in uh, Oregon who yeah. occasionally travels around the country with clients that hire him to come out and, and do uh, tapping therapy with them. So, and he's told some amazing stories. People are able to break addictions, stop smoking, doing whatever it is with uh, a process that they use with tapping. No, um, uh, you brought that up, Kevin. And when I did tapping therapy, it was through my CBT course. Mm. And it's all that whole conversation that we keep on having about cognitive behavior therapy, where you do it, you learn it, you share about it, and you reflect on it. Because 
if you just keep on doing the taps without doing anything else about it, it's doesn't really work. Yeah, there's no magic in the taps. Until you get a habit of doing it, then you, you, your mind is saying, okay, get it, get it. It's actually reacting to that. But until you start changing the way your mind thinks, it's, it doesn't work. Yeah, remember the uh, um, change your thinking, change your life, that cliche that's been around for decades, right? It was always just the seem like a motivational cliche, right? From these high-powered, high-energy motivational speakers. Rah, rah, rah. But reality is... Kevin, you sound like Tony Robbins right now. Change your... Oh, sorry. Um, Next week, we're all going to walk across fire. Virtually, though. Right, right. We're going to honor system. You're going to just let us know if you're actually doing it. But no, the reality is, is that a lot of that motivational stuff, especially, you know, the pop psychology started back in the seventies and, and, and so forth. It's funny how neuroscience is now starting to back that up. It's like, it's true. You can actually rewire your brain. It's not just a bunch of rah, rah, rah. What else do we want to talk about? I'm not sure I can handle all this positive talk. Jennifer. <laughs> so I currently work for public agency and we are breaking off from a larger agency and becoming our own. And part of what we've been challenged to do, I work in the IT department, by our CIO is to be these models of like, more of that like positive towards change and, you know, that sort of thing. And so um, one of the things that I tend to be challenged by is when you can't get the business side to kind of follow along with that, seeing the benefit in change, staying positive, all the time around that. And so I'm wondering if you have some thoughts or like practices that can help with maintaining that and not letting the, the resistance kind of just seep in. So if I heard you correct is how do you personally put up your guard or, you know, protect that you being maintaining a positive attitude during change when everybody around you wants to pull you down? Yeah, and I super enjoy being part of the like innovation and the like the structuring of this new agency and developing of this culture. I'm super excited about it and I'm enjoying the work that I'm doing. Half of our agency already existed. A third of it or a fourth of it is coming from a different agency and a fourth of it is all brand spanking new. And so it's trying to measure the, you know, old guard with the new guard and the people who are trying to come from another agency and fit in and keeping that positivity around moving forward towards the new culture, the innovation part of it without the, but you can't take away my Google apps. So, you know, um, Kevin, what's coming up for me here is uh, the emotions we all, like what is actually occurring for you right now? You see that. What kind of feelings are you dealing with when these emotions are coming to you? People say, you know, you have to have to work-life balance. You know, you can. 70% of your days at work. How do you balance that? <laughs> you know, I'm not that good at math, but 70 and 50-50 are not the same. So uh, you can't balance it. However, if you can learn to manage your own emotions and be aware of what's occurring for you when these emotions are happening, then you can build a guard for yourself to protect from those emotions and then looking at how to move forward from them. And then you can look at other people's emotions. Usually what we end up doing in 
life is we just we're really good at judging other people's emotions and what they're feeling. And then we react on that. Thanks. And what do you mean by that? It's okay to not be okay. Well, it's something that I'm learning more and more every day. You kind of tend to uh, not want to let people know that, that you're not okay or the situation's not good. But by doing so, it builds up. And, you know, what I'm finding is it's okay to not always be okay and to let people know that you're not okay. And being transparent like that, you know, I'm hopeful that it builds trust. Uh, because we all can't be okay all the time, every minute, every day. Just being happy I, by human nature, we're not, we're not filtered. I guess you could say wired that way. And I don't know, maybe it's something that's been ingrained in me through blind spots or, you know, other trainings that I've been involved with, but I'm finding out more and more that if I'm not okay, just holding that in and it's not beneficial to your health or wellness. And by people knowing that you're not okay and being transparent, you know, I think maybe they realize that, yeah, I'm human. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's great. There's a bit of a danger to that, though, that uh, I ended up living through. Uh, when my best friend died, I was deeply criticized by people at Carefree, my lake property, for being weak and sharing, obviously, too much, I guess. I lost friends. Uh, it turned out to be well, you know, hey, almost as bad as losing my best friend. I guess I wasn't supposed to supposed to share my deep sadness and I was supposed to suck it up, I guess. But I was heavily ridiculed and lost friends over it. So I guess maybe at the lake, it's not okay to not be okay. Thanks, Sue. It's nice to see you again. I haven't been in these for a while, but. This wasn't your crazy neighbor at the lake house. Did you have a crazy neighbor at the lake house as well? Yes, yes, I do. But, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't that person, though. No, it wasn't that person. It was. It was people who were close with her, like I was, but they kept all of their feelings, you know, tightly bound inside. Maybe they cried public or private, but you never knew that a day had gone by that the whole world had changed. And I don't know. It was a terrible. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. I understand. So there sure is a danger to, I don't know, being out there. Yeah, but doesn't that go back to what we were talking about before about vulnerability and what Brene Brown says about vulnerability? I mean, you're being honest to yourself. If other people can't deal with that, that's their problem. That's not your problem. I mean, you are staying healthy. Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm a big fan of of Brene Brown as well, and that's what I I thought. But there's a piece of me that wants everybody to like me, <laughs> and, and and I found I found it quite difficult, and I wish that I could maybe turn back time and and not be so out there with my emotions for so long. I think Sue, what you're talking about. Some people might see it as weakness. Yes. If you are in leadership at any level, 
From frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. I have a tendency to be a more emotive person. So uh, when I'm excited about something, I'm really excited about it. So if I'm frustrated by it, I'm really frustrated by it. And, you know, in the workplace, for many, many years, especially when I was super young and starting out in public sector and like I knew everything because I knew how to use computers when other people didn't. Like it was figuring out how to like temper that and then finding the safe space to talk about like the the really high emotions that I felt of, about having to show somebody how to use a Mac one more time. Um, where I am now, the ability for me to have that safe space with my leadership to say the direct words mm-hmm. about how I'm feeling and understand that they know that when I'm working with other customers or other people, that I'm not saying those words to them and I'm not treating them the way I feel right now, mm-hmm. but just being able to say it and have somebody within my own profession and team to be like, I get it, but have you thought about this? And so it's nice to have that piece of it, but sometimes it's like, I just want to have that like tough love talk to people. And like, I get that you've worked here 20 years, but like things are changing and we have to get on work with that. Like, yeah. so join me on the train. It's, it's moving. I love so, that, like, Jennifer. But you, you said something, something that you said something there is use direct words on how you're feeling. And, you know, as uh, Sue and Cindy were talking about Brene Brown, one thing that really comes to my mind when she talks about vulnerability, there's two types of vulnerability. One's floodlighting and one's laser pointing. Floodlighting is, oh, feel so sorry for me. I am doing this. Oh, man, that's floodlighting. And just keeps on going on the story about feel, feel sorry for me. Whereas laser focus is, this is exactly what, hey, I'm actually feeling sad right now because you didn't invite me to Thanksgiving dinner. That's laser pointer. Not, oh, I'm so lonely. I wish I had somebody to sit with. People even start ignoring that. And you're not really asking for help at that point. So I, I really appreciate you saying, being direct with my words. And the more direct we are with our feelings, people resonate. And then you resonate with your own feelings at that point as well. It's crazy how uncomfortable people get with that, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of reminds me of the difference between Linus and Lucy. Right. <laughs> and Charlie Brown. Yeah. Lucy's very direct. Linus is like, oh, poor, woe is me. Yeah. <laughs> always a great cloud. So, Jennifer, you'd asked a question. And then, uh, so you brought up a, a good scenario about vulnerability and vulnerability is, yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act, right? It's like knowing when to be vulnerable and how much to be vulnerable, uh, cause you don't want to just be vulnerable in the wrong setting. It could be, it could be a backfire and so forth, but that's a, that's a tricky walk. And the only way you can learn that sometimes is just to, to take those risks. That's the whole definition of vulnerability, right? Risking that, you know, risking yourself. You had asked Jennifer 
like, how do you deal with wanting to be a positive influence and change? If I can rephrase that while people around you are just being down and being negative and maybe even, you know, sucking the life out of you in some way, because that's your, you're battling that because you're trying to stay on a positive you know, side. And that's, uh, that's another one of those really tricky scenarios. Uh, but I think vulnerability plays into that. Uh, feel felt found might be a good tool for that. They're complaining about their Google apps being taken away. For example, you mentioned, right? So it's like, you know, I, I feel that I feel you, <laughs> it's gotta be super frustrating. Um, you know, I have felt the same way, not necessarily about Google apps, but about another aspect of this change. I felt the same way, but you know, what I found is focusing on the positive of what's, you know, the outcome of what's going to happen is, yeah, is helping me get through it. Right. It's like, you can empathize with those folks, but not let them control the, the conversation. Not let them control them, the mood, the, the feelings, the emotions. It would be hard for me to practice, but I like the, the idea of it. I'll have to work on that in my team meetings for <laughs> Yeah. Empathy is, is easier for some than others. It's not easy for me, I can tell you, um, my competitive style. But it definitely is very powerful. Veronica, you looks like you had something to share. I'm just wondering in your scenario, how much your folks have had the opportunity to be involved with the changes that are coming. Because I know buy-in is key. Well, we are currently working under a legislative mandate to become our own agency. So there's that. But I'm also, I also work in an agency where diversity, equity, and inclusion is super forefront. And it's like our main goal in life. And so everything is done as collaboratively as possible, which from an IT perspective can be wildly frustrating. But there is an opportunity for people to have a say in just about every part of what we're building. We're very conscientious of that because it's been the model in this agency for three years. Well, I mean, I'm not sure why there's not buy-in, more buy-in, because it, because it means that becoming our own agency, we won't using the same systems that we have, the staff have been using for the last years, right? That our governance might make decisions such as no longer supporting an M365 environment and a Google environment because of the technical debt that that brings in. And so it's this fear of, I've always done my job this way and it may change, right? So I recognize that those are the things, but like in my direct words, I am kind of one of those people that, you know, if a decision is made, follow it and that's what we do. And like, so just get on board and stop the way about it. And it's just, that's, I understand. Yeah. But this, that's, it's unfortunate that you, they're not seeing some kind of benefit there for them in the long run, even through the transition, because that would be something to look forward to. I know as we have done integrations and stuff in the past, it's painful, can be very painful process. However, you know, if you can paint that picture of the benefit for them in the long run, um, sometimes, you know, it's more attainable or more worth the, the pain, so to speak. Um, and then, of course, once they get over the hump, then they can finally see, oh, my God, this is great. But just, I don't know if there is that there for you. Yeah, I think from an agency perspective, you just have to figure out how the communication happens from the very top down 
rather than just IT being a cheerleader or a certain area being a cheerleader for whatever change it is, that we have to figure out, like, how do we get an umbrella type communication going? And there's opportunities for that. I'm just not sure that we have matured that process well enough that it, it puts people at ease. Yeah. And, you know, it's public sector, so truly changes some of the most scary stuff to folks who have been in a particular job for at least 10 years, right? And then you're going to change how they do something, but it's like the heart and soul of what they do every single day. It's really painful. Yeah, I, I also look at it from the perspective of, you know, change is inevitable. And you have a choice, you know, to make the change or if maybe the change isn't right for you, that's the time that you look at other opportunities. What came to my mind there was people don't like change. This is not, Mm-hmm. This is not a good thing for a lot of people because they're used to a certain way of doing things. Even in, even in the marriage, after so many years, right? You don't want to change there. However, if you think about what happened during COVID, and I don't know if in the States this happened, in Canada, what happened was our banking system is so archaic. You know, you have to physically go to the bank to sign something, mortgage papers, insurance papers. And all of a sudden COVID happened and people changed and we were able to do electronic signatures and Things have started happening and now I can't even go to the bank because they're shorter hours. They're used to the the new new way of being. Now, there is a population that still goes at the teller lines because they feel comfortable that way. We can't change that. Let them do it the way they need to do it. However, in, in an organization like this, you said something that was really key, which was the communication from the top down and the buy-in and the big picture for the outcome what needs to be communicated. If you're not the top level executives, what control do you have of that message coming down? What you have control over is how you manage it and the people around you to get them to buy in with you. And I use the word buy-in. It's not really a buy-in. It's more of a, let's do this together because it's going to be better for us. And that's all you can control. And then Kevin speaks about this in one of our modules about the ripple effect. As soon as you change your outlook on this and then work with the next person, the next person, the next person, it just is a ripple effect. And it could be the other way around as well, where if you don't buy into it and you're negative about it, it actually, the ripple effect goes even further and faster. The positive is slower, but it does work. You talked about, um, you guys were talking about micro wins when I started. We focused on micro wins to build the trust with our agency because they're coming from an agency where IT ignored them because they were the like the stepchild of the agencies. And so, you know, we have worked very hard to build the very quick responsive team where we can offering with IT initiatives that they had been wanting for years that make their jobs a little more automated and efficient and some work on these little micro wins and hoping that at some point that means that they will trust us in these big giant initiatives that we need them to trust and so for the next couple of years to implement. So we try to celebrate those little things. That's great. Thanks, John. Nice. I was thinking in your uh, your individual conversations uh, with the folks that are like you, you sort of describe where they're frustrated about various you know, the M365 versus the Google suite or whatever. Maybe even look at those micro wins and share the excitement about them. Like, 
if they're used to, I don't, I don't know what the order of things are, but if they're used to M365 and you're all switching to Google, then it's like, you know, I didn't even know Google could do this. This is, a, this is actually pretty amazing, right? Or whatever it is. Maybe look for, look for little things that can just spark a little bit of hope and give somebody a redirection of their, their negative thought. I do have to agree though, um, the communication and the leadership as it all filters from the top, no matter what we do down here in the middle, um, or a little bit higher up at the top, it, it doesn't mesh very well. I mean, I have a, an amazing leader and we're cut for short bridges from corporate. And so we see things very differently and the leadership at that he reports to is very, very different than what we're accustomed to. So it, it can be a struggle and getting buy-in, but building trust is so critical. Veronica, um, as you said that, what comes to my mind is you were and you are a part of that change already. And you shared with us a few weeks ago that you're working remotely and you have a better relationship with your manager. So that means that you are part of that change. And whether it stays within your department or goes out, you're making it better for yourself. And you took the steps to do that. And he joined you with that as well. So it's, it's you know, it, you control what you can control. As soon as you control yourself and manage yourself what you want, things around you will start changing. And if they don't, you'll make the change. Right. Right. Yeah. I want to acknowledge you for that because you, you, you are making a change in the environment. Thank you. Welcome. I took your compliment. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> you didn't deflect it. I love that, Veronica. I was waiting for a deflection back. It took me a minute. I've been practicing. That's good. I'm glad you did that. That's good. Nice. If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. For those of you that weren't here last week, we... Uh... We ended up with a appreciation exercise. Uh, we appreciated uh, one of our coaches, uh, Mark. And, uh, and then we talked about how hard it is to be put on the spot to accept appreciation acknowledgement. Do we all deflect and we all just want to give it back right away and not sit in that space for a little while? We're talking about wins right now. Imagine a win of acknowledgement appreciation to your neighbor or to your partner or to your colleague right next to them and how much you appreciate them. What kind of a win is that for them? And just the littlest yeah. things, just the littlest things. There's an exercise that if you are so inclined and you want to practice sharing the wins or practice helping, you know, giving, showing appreciation for others and in somewhat of a safe environment, again, this doesn't even come easy for all of us. Some people, it's super easy just to continually show appreciation. Very, very grateful, you know, demeanor or uh, temperaments. But just look around you when you're out doing your daily life, you know, going to the grocery store, going to the restaurant, going to, you know, the coffee shop, you know, what, what, walking through the park, whatever you're doing. And think to yourself, it's like, hmm, 
how can I show somebody a win today? How, what can I do to, to brighten somebody's day or to throw a, a, a kind word or a nice smile at their, you know, in their direction or something like that. Those are just practice moments, right? And they're safe because you don't know the other person. So what's the worst they can do is be grumpy. Okay. Whatever. Like just a friend, you know what, how, how often are the, uh, the checkers at the grocery store unappreciated, right? One little appreciation probably will make their entire day because they're yeah. never fast enough for everybody. Yeah. And interesting you say that because something I've recognized about myself over the years is I can really talk up my family members to other people, but then I recognize that I don't share that with them. And, well, mm. you know, they may hear me in a conversation talking about them and they're like, oh, I didn't know you felt like that about me, you know? So I'm trying to learn from that. Um, but I am one of those people, Kevin, honestly, that can give compliments to all kinds of strangers to lift them up or whatever it may be, just to make them feel good. Why not? But why can't I do that better with my own inner circle? Something that I am aware of in child work. Wow, I love that. Kevin, as you were saying about strangers, and you know, Kevin, that's a nice challenge. It's a nice, easy challenge. But I want to, you know, you and I are yin and yang here. I'm going to push this up to the next level is that turn to the person next to you at the office, call up your partner and just acknowledge them for whatever, whatever they did or whatever they didn't do. Just acknowledge them for who they are. One of the biggest things in acknowledgement is it's not about you did a great job when you did this. Acknowledge them for the person and their traits. You know, uh, I love being with you because you're kind and you make me laugh. I really appreciate that. Thanks for being part of my life. As opposed to thanks for making the bed this morning. Right. Right. And with kids, you know, as, as you know, some of us have kids, that's all they want to hear. All they want to hear. And I'm small story. I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Fix-It, right? Uh, I'm Mr. Connector. I've got all these connections. My son emailed me and messaged me on Monday saying, Hey, dad, uh, take a look at this website. I'm doing a new marketing agency for the car dealerships. And he sent me the website. And my background is car dealerships. I know that industry really well. And he sent it to me. My first instinct was, oh, this is great. Let me give you this contact to go reach these guys. All I did was, holy crap, this thing is incredible. I love the colors, the fonts. I'm excited to see the next revision of it. But if we get it done. And he just said, Thanks, Dad. I really needed that encouragement. Instead of, here's 10 leads and this is what you can fix. You know, they just want to be felt and heard, right? And like with the uh, micro wins we were talking about earlier, looking at other people too, it's so much easier to find faults and the, th the ways that they were deficient. And so it really is also a practice of practicing finding our wins, but also practice finding and communicating the wins of others because it's, yeah, you get a, a document and the first things that jump out to you are the typos you find or the things they didn't work well. And it's, it's harder to say, actually, I like the way you said this part. And um, we just always go for the negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but yes, and Graham. And the reasons we do that is because we're, we're that hard on ourselves first. So building that appreciation for yourselves allows the appreciation of others and empathy and compassion to show up naturally. And that was a hard lesson for me is receiving the good. I just never. And then I'm Mr. Perfectionist and OCD and, you know, just has to be right. And then I realized that it's actually me who has to change and receive what I'm worth and what I, how good I am. Then I can appreciate others for naturally as opposed to making it up.
because it didn't sound authentic at that point. I think for me, um, I have somebody on my team that is, I felt very critical at one point. And so uh, when I publish information or something, right away she'd come to me and say, well, did you notice that you did this typo or you did this or did that? And it really took me back for quite a few years. And finally, I thought, you know what? I could use this to my advantage. Why don't I go to her, ask her for her input before I publish? Just, just because I actually did value her input. It was a huge game changer, major. And my, my perspective and my mind shift went from she's against me to we're on the same team. So, I mean, and that, you know, I don't think she meant to be negative at all. She was just, that was, that was more constructive. Yes. How do we receive constructive criticism as well? Not just the good things. It's amazing. I like your point there too. She probably didn't mean to be negative. A lot of, a lot of the people we encounter, ourselves included, don't necessarily mean, mean to be negative or, or demeaning or, you know, just rude or anything. We just, we always, uh, we use a, a word in all of our programs, uh, a phrase called left unaware, right? If we're not paying attention, if we're not being mindful about how we're coming across in those moments, um, we're in that position where we're just simply left unaware. We're in an unaware state. Who knows what we're going to do or what we're going to say is we're not really paying attention. Right? So we, you know, we all want to work on growing in a uh, heightened level of awareness, aware, awareness of ourselves and awareness of others uh, around us. But yeah, that's a good observation. So you don't assume people are trying to be nitpicky or negative. That's just maybe the way they, they're wired. And yeah. I love that you tapped into that as a positive, you know? Well, and you know, when I, I was saying my goodbyes leaving Ohio, she cried. But yeah. I didn't know she didn't care that much for me. You know what I'm saying? And, and constantly now she'll tell me how much she misses me. So are we... We've developed a completely different relationship, something that I never would have ever fathomed that that could even happen. That's awesome. Put my, my pride aside and try to work on that relationship. That's a huge one right there. One of the things that, um, what I've learned in the past is that the people that come across negative to me or critical are the ones that need the appreciation the most because mm -hmm. they're, self, they're self-critical. Uh, so I've learned is that, you know, I've got some incredible people around me, but there are some people that are very negative and critical. And the moment I started acknowledging them for who they are, that criticism starts dropping. But of course, but of course, ego gets in the way once in a while. And uh, what about me? Well, then you got to go do your own self-love, right? Oh, that nasty thing called the ego. <laughs> I thought you could say the nasty thing called self-love. Yeah, no. Sorry, we don't, we don't want to go there, do we, Kevin? <laughs> it is difficult. I'm not going to lie. So, um, you know, but I, I definitely have some, some relationships I need to work on just trying to figure out how to approach it where the person's not defensive. Just, I, I just don't even know where to begin. So that'll be another day. If anyone... Um, has heard of Kristen Knapp. She's got a really cool TED talk on self-love and self-compassion. So just have a look at that if you get a chance. Um, it's, it's a hard concept to understand because it's, sometimes it sounds very uh, selfish, right? You mean I got to take care of myself first? Because no, it's my job is to take care of everybody else first. 
Yeah, she is considered one of the foremost experts on self-compassion. Yeah. I think Brene Brown has referred to her a number of times. Yeah. You know, if you want a challenge for yourself, there's a couple of things that you can do today is just start jotting down your micro wins and then appreciate the person that's even right next to you or make a phone call and acknowledge it for who they are. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.